0: The last month, man, we've been preaching through uh, what? What was it? Romans twelve, right? Romans twelve. That's our. That's every year, man. That's our. No more resolutions. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. No more resolutions, right? Okay, they're gonna be called my mid march anyway, right? Ninety eight percent of us gonna trash them, but this is one in Romans twelve that we can stick with, that we can that we can stick to, okay. And uh, man, it's been good for for Bill and I going through this and and, and looking at Romans 12. I want to encourage you, man. If, if 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 you missed that, go back, look at some messages. And 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 again, look. Go to Right Now Media. If you don't have Right Now Media, see Bill. He'll hook you up. It don't cost you nothing. Church pays for it. But go to Right Now Media. Go to Chip Ingram. It's True Spirituality. You can just put in R12. Okay, it'll take you to some video series. I think he's got. Uh, maybe 15, 25 if you do the leadership, but they're like 13, 15 minute long. And, and it will really help you grow and understand Romans 12 because I, I think it's critical, isn't it? You know? Because how we start is what? How we finish, man. And I want to start on the right foot, right? So today we're back in the parables of Jesus. Y'all thought we were finished, huh? We had to take a little break, man, there for Christmas and, uh, and, then, and then to kick off 2024 the right way. But uh, we're back in the parables of Jesus now, and uh, last time we went through the parables was November 26th last year, and we finished up with the parable of the, uh, parable of the two sons. But, but just let me, let me give you, let's do a little recap, okay, where, where we're at in the parables and, and why Jesus, there were three parables that were all tied together. It was the parable of the two sons. It's the parable of the evil tenants, and then the parable of the wedding banquet. They're all tied together, and they all happen there in Matthew 21, 22. Uh, Jesus, up to this point, has predicted his death three times now, okay? Uh, He comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, right, which is prophesied in uh, Isaiah 56, 7. It's called the triumphal entry, right? Jesus comes in riding on a donkey like a king, right? Uh, uh, a peaceful king, not a warrior king. Warrior king would be a white horse, right? But he comes in riding like a, like a lamb, right? Because Jesus is the Lamb of God. And uh, this is the Sunday before he's crucified. So this is the last week of his life as he's coming into Jerusalem here, right? So it says all the people in Jerusalem are praising him, right? Matthew 21, 9 through 10, it says, Hosanna to the Son of David. Now, what is, that? what is that a reference to? Jesus was called the, starts with the Elm, Messiah, right? They knew the Messiah was coming. So this was a reference to the Messiah. They said, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. saying, said, who is this? Who, who is this? This, this? this Messiah. Who is this king? Okay. So the whole city was stirred up. Amazing, isn't it? But Jesus has that effect, man. Look, he was having that effect as a man. Imagine the effect he's going to have as the Son of God, as God Himself. Right? That's pretty amazing. And again, man, in less than a week, the same people that are crowding "Hosanna to the Son of David" are going to be crowding, shouting what? Crucify him! In less than a week. You see how easy it is. They're praising him, and, and in less than a week, now they're shouting, "Crucify Man, we're some fickle people, aren't we? He goes into the temple. He begins driving out all those who are buying. <clears throat> excuse me, all those who are buying and selling, and he tells them, "My house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers and thieves." Now, what was the issue there? Well, the temple priests, they were making a profit off of the animals sold for people's sacrifices. Okay? People can't afford a, 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 a lamb for their family. All they can afford is, a, is, a, is a, a dove or something, something smaller. They're overcharging them the prices, making money off people's sacrifices. That's crazy. The priests are doing that, right? And then money changers, they're making profit off the exchange of currency, right? You can't give Roman currency as a tithe. No, there's a temple currency. So if you come in and all you got is Roman money on you, you got to exchange that. And the exchange rate, they were overcharging people the exchange rate to pay their tithe. So not only are they overcharging for, t- for sacrifices, now I just want to pay my tithe, man, and you're overcharging me. And I I can't, I can't, now I can't sacrifice. Now I can't, I can't give to God what I want to give to God. The court out where the Gentiles were, that was a high traffic area. That's where a lot of the business was taking place. So the Gentiles, the Jews cared not a whole lot for the Gentiles, right? They could care less about Gentiles, right? So that's where they did their business. Now the Gentiles can't, they can't sacrifice, they can't pray. And that's what Jesus was saying there, man. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. This is supposed to be a place where you come to meet God, right? And, and and you you've alienated people from meeting God. That's what Jesus was saying. The blind at that time and the lame were coming to Jesus in the temple and being healed. Chapter 21. Being him, man, you know, that's if if Jesus was here today and he's healing lame people and blind people, I mean, that's kind of enough right there to go, wow, this cat, man, this something. That, That 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 that's that's gotta be a God thing. That ain't Satan, right? You would think that would be enough, right? When the chief priests, religious leaders saw these things happening and how the people were reacting, they signed him up immediately, right? We're going to put you in charge, man. You got to be the son of God. No, man. They were furious. They told Jesus, man, stop these people from saying them things about you. Stop. They wanted it stopped. Jesus leaves. He goes back to Bethany. He's staying in Bethany. In the morning, on the way back to the temple, he's hungry, so he sees a fig tree. He goes to the fig tree and he finds nothing on it but leaves, no fruit. He curses the fig tree. Now you don't use cuss words, you know you blah 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 fig tree. He curses the fig tree by saying, "You will no longer have fruit." right? May, may you never bear fruit again." Immediately the Bible says, the tree started to wither. What cat can speak to a tree? And it starts to wither immediately, huh? So hang on to that. Hang on to the the fig tree that looked like it should have had fruit, but there was no fruit. Hang on to that thought. Just put that to the side right now. Let that simmer, and we'll come back to that later. And then at the temple, the the, the religious leaders they began to question and challenge Jesus. Right? I mean, they're getting worked up, man. Into y'all ever got worked up into and to where you exploded? Huh? Nobody has, right? You just got, I mean, you know, they, somebody keep poking you and poking you and poking you and poking you, you know, until you just explode. Ever happened to you? Okay, that's where the religious leaders are at. Jesus, he's not doing it on purpose. Jesus is trying to reveal himself, you know, as a son of God, as a Messiah. And, and every little thing Jesus is doing is poking them and poking them. And, and they're getting ready to explode, right? By what authority, by what power are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Right? Because he's threatening their authority, right? He's threatening them as leaders in Jerusalem. He's threatening their position. He's threatening their power. He's threatening their position in the eyes of the people. He's threatening their wealth. Oh, man, you start messing with somebody's money. He's threatening their position with the Romans, the, the relationship they have with the Roman government. And they're getting, they're getting freaked out about this stuff. So Jesus shares three parables. That's what I told you a while ago. Three parables to open their eyes to these things, man, and where they are spiritually. The parable to the two sons, Matthew 21, 28 through 32. He said, hey, what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, my son, go work in my vineyard today. He answered, I don't want to. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the man went to the other son. He said the same thing. I will, sir. But then he never went and worked. Jesus said, which of the two sons did the will of the father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God Before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. But you, when you saw it, didn't even change your minds then and believe him. Poke. Now what's the point of that? What's the point of the first parable? One son said, I don't want to go work for you, Dad. But later changed his mind. He was convicted, and he went and did it. The other son, oh, yes, sir, I'm going to go. Never shows up. What's the point of the parable? It's obedience. It's obedience, guys. Look, we can say stuff all day long. You can quote Scripture all day long. You can post spiritual stuff all day long on Facebook. You can wear all the the spiritual T-shirts and stuff. You you put all the bumper stickers you want to on your motorcycle or your car. That all all that we do in in religion means nothing without what? Without a relationship with Him, and if we have the right relationship with Him, then we want to obey. We may say, "I don't want to." Y'all ever said, "I don't want to" to God? Look, man, Jesus was in the garden. He's getting ready to be crucified. What is Jesus praying to the Father? Huh? Father. It's not this pretty picture of Jesus sitting there with a halo, and he's, man, it says he's sweating drops of blood. You ever been so, you ever been to the point where of anxiety, that you're sweating drops of blood? That's a real physical condition, by the way. He's on his face. Sweating drops of blood. Father, if there's any other way, let this pass. I don't want to do this, Lord. I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. So Jesus was one that didn't want to do that. But what did he do? He obeyed the Father, right? So, man, all that we're doing, think about all that the stuff we're doing, is it obeyed? Come on, we can do some good stuff, right? But if you're doing good stuff, but it's not what Jesus told you to do, your kids ever do that? You tell them to go do something, and they do everything but the thing you told them to do? It's like, come here, man, let me pinch your head off. Huh? It's crazy, isn't it? I, man, it's great that you did all this other stuff. I appreciate you doing that. But the one thing, the one thing, the one thing I wanted you to do, you didn't do it. Here today we're in the second parable. It's about the same time, okay? I don't know if this is late Tuesday or late Monday or it's Tuesday as far as the time frame. But this is the parable of the evil tenants. Matthew 21, 33 through 34, Jesus said, now listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. Now look, man, the landowner designed, created, planted a vineyard, a wall around it, which that was pretty prestigious, Right? Dug a wine press and then built a watchtower in the vineyard. Man, this was not some podunk vineyard. This was Taj Mahal vineyard. Okay, this this was I mean this was the heat back in the day, man, of a vineyard. Right. So, and and it was also common in that day for a landowner to have a farm or a land and then rent it to some others. Uh, We do that. We own we own property in Sampson County. We share crop. That to some folks in Sampson County that, that farmed the property. Because my brother and I, were not farmers. Uh, no need to let the land sit, so we share crop. And that's that's what he's doing here. He said, look, when, when the harvest time approached, I'm in mean 34, when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. Now, what's the landowner expecting? I got this, man, I got this Mac Daddy Taj Mahal Vineyard, right? It's got top of the line. I didn't go to Walmart and buy these grapes. Man, I got the top of the line grapes from Italy. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, these things are good, man. That's what I've planted. That's what I've rented out. So he's sending his servants down to collect what? Part of his sharecropping, right? Or part of the harvest, whether that's in money or in grapes or in wine, okay? We don't know what they agreed to. But he's he's going to collect because he's thinking, wow, I've got an awesome, awesome vineyard. So there should be a really, really good harvest. The tenants, the tenants, the ones he, he rented to, seized his servants, they beat one, they killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. Now, if he's gonna stone, kill, and 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 treat my tenant, my my servants this way, surely he's gonna respect my son, right? You would think. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Does he get the respect? No. Now, in that day, if, an owner, if there was an owner somewhere, and the owner had no heir, and the owner died, then possession was, y'all heard it before, nine-tenths of what? Possession was nine-tenths of the law. So that's what they're thinking. The owner's still alive. The owner's not dead. The owner sent the son to get his portion of the harvest. I mean, what are they thinking? What? Where, where's their head at, right? So Jesus asked a question at this point, you know. Therefore, look, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They answered this way. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. That's a pretty good way to respond. <laughs> the the religious leaders and the chief priests are the ones he's he's talking to. They will bring, or the owner will bring those wretches to a wretched end. They replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Look, the chief priest and the religious leaders. They understood what was going on. I mean, it's not a, not a case of not understanding. Not a case of not, not getting it, right? They get it. And then Jesus, he, he asked another question. See, back in the day, man, the way the, way the, the rabbis and the, the way religious leaders and the chief, the way they would disciple, the way they would challenge one another would be through questions. Be a, sometimes a whole conversation would be nothing but questions. What about this? What about that? What if this? What if that? And the whole, it would be back and forth question, back and forth question, and people would go, oh, what are they talking about? this are crazy. But it was a way they would challenge one another with their knowledge of God's word or with the positions that they were on. <clears throat> so Jesus is just, he's, he's using their form of communication here, right? By asking questions. <coughs> So in verse 42, he asked another question. He said to them, hey, I love Jesus, man. It's not, I don't know if you can call it sarcastic, spiritual sarcasm. I don't know. Is there such a thing as spiritual sarcasm? It just Jesus had a sense of humor, okay? He's talking to the religious leaders, the chief priest. Look at his question. Have you never read in the scriptures? Have you never read in the scriptures? What, what were the Pharisees? What was their number one thing? Pharisees, what was their primary objective for living? The law. The law. They knew God's word forward, backward, diagonally. You could mention a word in a place in scripture, and they would be able to quote entire passages just by mentioning a word. So they knew they knew the Torah. They knew, right? The law. They knew God's word. And I love Jesus said, Hey man, have you never read the scriptures? Poke, he said, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And he's quoting Psalm 118, and it's a quote that happened some 900 almost a thousand years before. And now, Jesus knows they've read the scripture. He knows their background. He, he knows that. And This is a scripture sometime that was used, Psalm 118, during Passover. Well, Passover's coming up, right? So, Jesus, man, is strategic in the questions that he's asking and, and, and what he's saying here. <clears throat> God's doing something, guys. In other words, that's what he's saying. Look, look, God's doing something here. Can you not see? Can you not perceive what God is doing? Can you not understand the cornerstone? What's a cornerstone? Some of you builders here, what's a cornerstone? That's the first stone that's laid, right? Everything is built around what? The cornerstone. Everything is held together and held up by what? Right, if the cornerstone's not right, what happens? <clears throat> I don't want to live in it, Right? If the cornerstone's not right, nothing is. The cornerstone is the most important stone in the building. Jesus is insinuating here that he's the cornerstone. See, the gospel, our relationship, our restoration with God the Father, our redemption, eternal life, all of creation, life itself is established, maintained, held together by one person. You want to take a guess who that might be? Jesus. The very breath that you're breathing right now is is performed by you because Jesus is holding everything together. The blood that's flowing through our bodies right now. Our bodies are being held together by Christ himself. And if he were not doing so, everything would collapse. Because he is the cornerstone. Colossians 1, 15, 20, look at this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Check this out. Everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else, and what happens? He holds all things together. Hebrews 1, 3 and 4. <clears throat> Excuse me. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Here it is. He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. How is the world spoken? I mean, how was the world created? I just told you. <laughs> God didn't come down and do it. He did what? Jesus spoke it into existence. The only thing... The only thing that was created that God used his hands to create was what? Man. We're the only creation. Guys, look. We're the only creation that God had a personal touch because we were created in his image. There's a personal touch to it. He didn't just speak it. He came down, scooped up the dirt, And personally formed it himself. Man, that's how valuable we are to God. And Jesus, Jesus in his power, by the power of his spoken word, his command, holds everything together. John 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him and nothing was created except through Him. And we know that word to be what? Emmanuel, right? God with us. Jesus. So that's the cornerstone. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate here through Psalm 118. Then He says in verse 43. This is a big poke. Therefore, Well, you see, therefore, you go back and read it again, right? He's he's told us about this parable, right? Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Wow. Man, their blood is boiling right now. Their blood is boiling. Uh, can't you see the picture? We're Abraham's descendants. I'm the chief priest. Who are you, you illegitimate? You, you- I don't think they said illegitimate back then. They probably called him a bastard child, right? Man, they're furious. See, here's the deal, man. The landowner who created the vineyard is who? God. The vineyard, that's the people of Israel. The tenants who had rented a vineyard were the religious leaders, chief priests. The owners or the servants who were killed by the tenants were some of the Old Testament prophets who were martyred, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, Amos. The owner's son, who could that be? The owner's son is Jesus. And then those who will take the place of the evil tenants and produce fruit for the owner would be the new testament church that's on the horizon that will produce fruit that that should be doing what the religious leaders should be doing but aren't and then Jesus here man he's prophesying what's going to happen to himself and to them for being these evil tenants and this isn't a lot of people think it's specific to the gentiles It's not really specific to Gentiles, although Gentiles will make up the majority of the New Testament church, right? It just, God opened it up for Jews and Gentiles. It started as Jews and Gentiles. But today, there are probably more Gentiles than Jews in the New Testament church. And then Jesus says this again. Look, anyone who falls on this stone, I think this stone was a, a, a key point there, right? Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. So what is Jesus saying here? Look, they knew the law. They knew the Old Testament, right? They knew it. Forward, backward, diagonally, they they knew it. In Genesis 3.15, what did God promise? You guys remember that? Went Went through a Genesis. Adam and Eve had sinned. God clothed Adam and Eve. He took the first, or the first death that took place. God took an animal's life to, to uh, uh, give them leathers. They were bikers even back then, right? <laughs> God did that, and then God gave them a promise, right? God gave them a promise in Genesis 3.15. Hey, one's coming, and Satan, you're going to bite his heel, but he's going to do what? He's going to crush your head. And God was talking to the serpent who was talking to Satan. <clears throat> Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. That's what Jesus is telling him. Look, this is the stone on this stone. If you don't believe the cornerstone, this stone, God's just going to crush you. And there's, there's going to be no hope for you. What, what is the crushing of Satan's head? We know that to be Jesus' death on the cross, right? And, and our relationship restored to God the Father through Jesus Christ, we can have eternal life. And Satan can't touch us if we have eternal life in Jesus Christ, right? There's, there's no sting of death anymore. Death is just a door we walk through to get to God the Father. You're going to kill the Son. You're going to kill the Son. But fruit's going to take place after the son is killed. And he's talking about him raising from the dead, right? Which has never, been happen- never happened before. All the religious leaders all over the world, man. They died and they're buried. And you know what? They're still dead. There's only one that's ever, ever risen to new life. And that's Jesus Christ. That's why he's the cornerstone. <clears throat> and look at this. Romans one eighteen, Paul wrote, look, God shows his anger from the heavens... Against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Cornerstone is going to crush those who don't believe in Jesus. John 3, 16 and 19. This is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through Him. Then he says in 18, there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. The judgment's based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light because their actions were evil. The cornerstone, Jesus, is going to crush those who won't come to the light. Then later in John three thirty six, anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Then in Matthew 21, 46, 45 and 46, it says, When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew He was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Man, instead of humbling themselves at this, at the words of Jesus, instead of humbling themselves and repenting, what do they do? We've got to find a way to arrest this cat. We've got to eliminate. How do you eliminate the cornerstone? If you eliminate the cornerstone in the building, what happens? In 70 A.D., the temple was completely destroyed. Man, you see all this stuff is connected. It's amazing, man. When you start digging in and you start looking, they would not humble themselves. They would not repent. Their hearts were hardened even more because of their pride. You ever been there? For some of us who got saved later in life at 35, I look back at the times that God was giving, that God was convicting me, right? The Holy Spirit was working in my life, convicting me, and I shut it down. My heart got harder and harder. And then God was trying to correct me. My heart got harder and harder. I remember one specific time, and I, I got to share this. It's not drinking, it's not drugs, it's nothing. It's, it was something that was really stupid. We were building a house. My, my first wife and I were building a house. I go to the house, the builders are building it. It's, it's dusk. I got off work. The you know, sun's going down. You know how you can't hardly see? They, they took down a bunch of trees on the property that I didn't want taken down because I love trees, you know. Great big red oak trees. One, one of the stumps on that thing was probably 10 feet tall, probably as big as this wall. Up to the Freedom freedom logo, this size. Huge hole in it. I'm over there looking at it. I'm getting ready to leave. To go eat supper. So I'm in the hole. I'm looking at the roots. I step out of the hole. I take about four steps, and I heard something go, whoo I turn around and look. The stump fell back in the hole. I don't know how much it weighed. Probably... Couple thousand pounds. Man, cold chills, cold chills ran over me. And immediately, immediately, I want, man, I want <laughs> nowhere close to Jesus. Immediately, the thought went into my mind if I had been in that hole, I would be in hell right now. That's the first thing that popped in my mind after the cold chills hit me. Now, God, that's how much God loves us. That the conviction and the correction was that. Now, do you think that changed me? I I sat in the truck for a couple of minutes getting my composure. And then I fired it up and I went to eat supper and I never thought about it again. But we do that, don't we? Their pride is hurt. This illegitimate son of Mary is correcting us, chastising us in front of the people. Right? And on top of all that, he makes a reference to him being the cornerstone. Right? Again, man, this is the poke, right? This is the poke that drove them over the edge. Okay? Now, we like to blame and we like to like, kind of like to look down on the, on the Pharisees and the religious leaders, don't we? But how many of us have done the same thing? How many of us have ignored and refused and denied that conviction and that correction of God? Especially when it's somebody in the body of Christ. Or, hey, has it ever happened? Has a lost person ever. Has God ever used a lost person to convict you or to correct you? Man, talk about making you mad. I mean, you just be blowing snot everywhere you're so mad. <laughs> huh? Has that ever happened to you? So how does this apply to us today? I mean, what is it what does it got to do? I mean, okay, the the last parable, right? Obedience. I get that. Man, we need to obey, right? But how does how does this apply to us? Well, here two two ways I think and and you know, you go back and read it. Ask God to speak to you, but are we living like those evil tenants? Well, what do you mean? Think it all. Think of all that God has given us. Has God not given us the most wonderful vineyard that we could ever... Has God not given us a Taj Mahal vineyard? Now, you can make that about the nation if you want to. But I think spiritually. Look look at what has God has given us spiritually. We can gather together today freely in this nation and sing and shout and do whatever we want to do here without any kind of threat of of people coming and killing us or shutting us down. Man, has God not blessed us? Yeah. But are we acting like evil tenants? Where's the harvest, guys? See, God is blessed, and, and God expects a harvest, does he not? God expects fruit. Remember that tree Jesus Jesus cursed? You will never, you'll never bear fruit again. Remember that, 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 that tree? Guys, there can't be a harvest unless there's fruit, right? How do you get a harvest? How do you give God a harvest if there's no fruit? That's the second point. Look, are we living with all that God has given me, my time, my talent, my treasures? Am I giving God his harvest? Am I giving him the fruits of those things? Am I giving God my best or am I giving him leftovers? Man, more often than not, sometimes I think we're living like those evil tenants, aren't we? God expects a harvest in our life because of all that He's done. Not not for salvation, but because of salvation, right? And the second thing, He he expects fruit, right? I think God does, man. I think He expects a harvest. Look, 1 uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. It's required of stewards that they be found faithful. So it's biblical, not just my opinion. We are to be faithful with what God has given us, right? Now, why did Jesus curse the fig tree? Because at a distance, it looked like what? It looked like it had fruit on it. The leaves, the fig trees, they get big, they get plump, they get fat. So it looked like there was fruit. But when Jesus got over there and he starts looking around, there's no fruit. How many of us look like we're spiritually healthy, but when you start looking for fruit, what do we see? In Matthew 7, Jesus said, You will know people whether they belong to Him or not, by their what? By their fruit. Not by why they look, what they look like. Remember, remember when He said, in also in Matthew chapter 7, these people came to me and said, but, but Lord, 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 we, we, we prophesied in Your name, and we did this in Your name, we did that, we drove out demons in Your name, we did all this stuff in Your name. And what did Jesus tell them? Get away from me. I never, what? Knew you. I didn't know who you were. In other words, you're not mine. You're not mine. Now, what, what, what is the fruit? I know a lot of people think, okay, well, what is the fruit I need to produce? Okay, well, here, here's some. This is not a complete list, but look, man, are you wholeheartedly, are we, are we wholeheartedly committed to Christ? And before you say yes, are you giving of your time, your talent, your treasures, your best to God? Because see, if he ain't getting your best, then you're not wholehearted for him, right? You can't be. How do you give God leftovers? And then on this, I'm giving God my leftovers, but, but then I'm saying I'm wholeheartedly committed to him? That's what the religious leaders were doing. Love God, love others, right? The greatest commandment. Love God, love others. Look, be faithful to God, right? Be faithful. Just be faithful. And then look, share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Disciple and be disciple to grow, develop, and mature in Christ, right? Romans 12, there you go. There's your discipleship model, right? Hey, if you're discipling someone or if you want to be discipled, then use Romans 12 as your discipleship model. Because in the end of that, we wind up looking more and more like Jesus, right? Meet community needs in the name of Jesus. And see, all of that, we can't do that without a transformation in our life. How do, how, where's the transformation come from? See, if, if, if there's no transformation and I don't have a relationship with him, then I'm going to wind up doing stuff in his name, but I don't know him. I don't belong to him, right? I, I wind up being in that club in Matthew chapter 7. That's not a club you want to be in. Where Jesus says, get away from me, I never knew you. You were not one of mine. You see, you see the thing here? See, and here's the thing, man. God brought me to this scripture. One of my favorite chapters John fifteen. Now here's a key point from Jesus. Okay, about producing fruit. Because sometimes, man, what we do, we'll gravitate to fruit. I gotta produce fruit. I gotta fruit. We get in this works mentality. Okay, where I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, but I'm doing all this stuff. I'm doing all this stuff. That's Matthew seven, right? They were doing stuff, thinking the stuff they were doing was the fruit. The stuff that we do is not the fruit. Here, here's a key point. Are y'all tracking with me? Here's a key point about fruit. Check this out. John fifteen five through 8. This is Jesus speaking. And he's telling his disciples, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So check that out. Verse 5, I'm the vine, Jesus said, you're the branches. Everything starts in me, with me. Not, not you. A tree doesn't grow branch, vine, stump. No. We know how things grow, right? Then look at verse 5. Whoever abides in me. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me. Verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Think there's a theme going on here? Look at verse 8. By this, what is the this? Abide. abide. By this, abiding in Him, and He in me, and I in Him, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Guys, it's not about the fruit, it's about abiding in Jesus. And look, if we're abiding in Jesus the way He wants us to abide in Him, what's a byproduct of that? Much fruit. Much fruit. And it's going to be fruit that glorifies God. And we prove to be his disciples. And here, here's the message today in Bill's nutshell. Here's the message today in a nutshell. I want you to think about this and ask yourself this, okay? Are we wholeheartedly committed to Jesus as the Savior, Lord, and Master of our life? In in a right relationship with Him, producing much fruit, or, or a harvest that glorifies God and honors Him? Or are we more like those evil tenants that Jesus shared about in this, this parable. I pray today, man, that we are abiding in him and he abiding in us because it's through that relationship that we that we produce fruit. Guys, if it's not happening that way, then we're just doing stuff. We've we got a works mentality. And we're trying to work our way into into the relationship. We're trying to work our way into heaven. And guys, it ain't going to work. Because Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, I didn't know you. You're not mine. You don't belong to me. Get away. He said, get away from me. Man, do you want to hear Jesus tell you? Get away from him. Go back and read this. I, I, I read it three times. I read it in three different translations to make sure I got it. This is what God spoke to me about. J.D., I need you to be wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly committed to me. It's my kingdom, J.D. It's my vineyard, J.D. I built it. I designed it. I just put you where I want you to fulfill the purpose that I have for you. Do you know we're all like that? Every one of us, God put us here for a purpose. We didn't create anything. We didn't design anything. It's not our purpose. We're here for him. And see the problem is, man, we, we 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 start acting like We start acting like we're the king. We do, don't we? We start living, start acting like we're the king. It's my kingdom. I want it my way. You're going to give it to me. You know when you go to Burger King, you don't even get it your way? Because they got specific hamburgers. They got specific buns. They got specific cheese. You only, you only going to get what they got. You might get some different condiments and whatnot. You might get two patties or you might get bacon on it. But you're still only getting what they got. So even at Burger King, that's a lie. You ain't getting it your way. Who's the king of your kingdom? Guys, unless we're wholeheartedly committed to him, he's not the king of our kingdom. We're still wearing this kind of crown. You know it's a paper crown, right? (laughs) You realize that? Even if, and I'll close with this, John, you guys come. Think about this for a minute. Think, Think about this for a minute. Even if you get it your way. Think about this. Even if you get it, even if we get it our way, what happens when we die? We die separated from God the Father. We spend eternal life separated from God because I got it my way. Because you did it your way. We did it my way my will my way my kingdom come only leads chaos and destruction. Jesus said you remove the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone. The cornerstone, man, everything else, everything in your life. It may look good right now, but I got news for you, man. At some point in time, if Jesus is not the cornerstone of your life, then everything, chaos and hell is going to happen in your life. It may not be in this life. It may be when you breathe your last breath and you wake up in eternity separated from God, but it's going to be a payday, right? Not my words. Whose words are those? Jesus, today, man, make sure today Jesus is the cornerstone of your life. Okay? Father, I pray in Jesus' name, as we close our service today, I pray that you've been honored and glorified. Father, if we do belong to you, if there's been a time in our life, Lord, when we made that wholehearted commitment to you. And Father, I pray that we are abiding in you and you are abiding in us. Father, if we're not, if something's happened, Lord, and we've drifted, then help us get back to that point. And Father, if there are any in here today, if there are any online, Lord, that are watching that are not wholeheartedly committed to you, if you're not the cornerstone of our life, Lord, our Savior, our Master, our Lord, Lord, help us to make that right. May you be glorified today in how we respond. And everybody say, Amen. Amen.